Hey guys, welcome back to the Rethink It podcast. Um, today we are talking about how concussions affect our brain health, chronic minor concussions. Really, we want to know, do minor concussions, like the minor common ones that everyone experiences. Do not tell me you have not hit your brain head because I have. Okay, maybe I'm not the standard, but <laughs> nonetheless, I know you've hit your head before, right? I have multiple times and minor concussions, I mean, are super, super common. I, I remember knocking myself out. I think I was six years old or seven years old and I was swimming. I was on the swim team and I was showing off for my friends and I dove into the shallow end. You know, the one where they have the sign now on the side of the pool and they say, don't dive in right? That, that was me. So I dove and I knew how to dive into a swimming pool, but I was showing off. I was six or seven and I hit my head and it was right before we had a swim meet, right? We were going to swim a bunch of events. I think I was doing, I don't know, freestyle or something. Who knows? However, I ended up hitting my head and swimming the swim meet, did fine, didn't think I had a problem. And then afterwards, you know, we were having free swim with all my friends and I was standing in line to dive off the diving board and I started to throw up. And let me tell you, that was embarrassing for a six-year-old who was trying to show off earlier, right? So I, uh, yeah, I threw up the whole way to the locker room, threw up all the way home, threw up all night long. My mom put me in bed, not knowing what to do with the bucket. That's not what you do, FYI. So anyway, that's my first story of a concussion. And it was a pretty significant one at age six. But my point is that everyone's had minor concussions. And the question is, is there a link between dementia and con chronic minor concussions? Also, is there something we can do? So according to my experience in medicine, like you have a concussion there's not much we can do. We tell you to rest, take it easy. There's really no medications for it. There's nothing we te tell you to do to prevent any kind of damage to your brain. But as my guest today will share, there is a 100% link between tra traumatic brain injury, including the minor injuries, and Alzheimer's dementia. So this is an important conversation to have. And today I'm being joined by Michael Pendleton. He is a doctor of chiropractic medicine and he is or doctor of chiropractics. I'm sorry if I get this wrong, Michael. Um, <laughs> but he also is fellowship trained in traumatic brain injury. And he is what we call a chiropractic neurologist. And we will talk about what that is in the, in, as we go forward. Um, so he he's going to help take this apart for you guys. Um, and we're going to dive in to all the research. And, you know, unfortunately, we know catastrophic outcomes occur from concussions in sports. We've lived, we, if you watch football, if you love football, if you are in the U.S. and that's your thing, even, even European football is associated with brain injuries, FYI. But if, because of, you know, our love for football, we are kind of a little bit more aware of the fact that TBI and repetitive TBI of a severe type that like the kind you'll find in football can lead to um, Alzheimer's and catastrophic outcomes. So I'm just going to give you guys a name, a couple lists of the footballers that are the U S footballers <laughs> that are casualties to this, this type of brain injury 
Um, we call it chronic traumatic encephalopathy when you have multiple injuries to your brain. But in case you guys follow football, here's a couple of people that you might want to know about. So we have Dave Dorson. He was a football safety who played 11 seasons for the NFL. Um, he's considered one of the greatest Chicago um, Bears players of all times. Okay, Chicago Bears, here's your guy. He won the um, Super Bowl. Um, he, he played for the, the Chicago Bears when they won the Super Bowl um, 20. And then again, he when he played for the, the New York Giants and won Super Bowl 15, uh, 25. So he's, he's a famous guy, right? He played safety. Um, he suffered 10 known concussions during his career. And after he played football, he, you know, became a business owner. He owned some McDonald's. I'm sure that didn't help. And as you'll hear in our upcoming podcast, acquired brain injury con contributes to outcomes, okay? And if he ate his, ate his McDonald's, that probably contributed to some acquired injuries. So he began suffering memory loss after his football career ended, and he had a lot of erratic behavior. And he died, unfortunately, from a self-inflicted injury um, at the age of 50. So he sent a final text to his loved ones right before the end of his days, asking that his brain be used for research, asking his family to make sure that his brain is used for research. And then neurologists later did determine that he suffered from um, undiagnosed CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So for you guys are listening from from Georgia, we've got a Georgia Falcons, Atlanta Falcons player as well, Ray Easterling. He played an eight season, he had an eight season career as a safety at the Atlanta Falcons with the Atlanta with the Atlanta Falcons. I'm going to get this right today. <laughs> so this is um, this is near and dear to my heart coming from Georgia. I still live, even if the Falcons didn't win a lot of games, we still love them, don't we, Georgia people? So at the age of 62, unfortunately, he suffered a self-inflicted injury um, that was a result of, um, of years of dealing with clinical depression from dementia. And they did an autopsy and they revealed that he was suffering from chronic traumatic encephalopathy. A year before his death, he and several other players um, filed a federal lawsuit with Philadelphia, I mean, in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia against the NFL for how it dealt with concussions. And I think there, um, Michael mentions a, a, a movie, I did, have not seen it, but talks. it's called Concussion. And I guess it details some of this history of how the NFL is now kind of implemented some safety guidelines for concussive injuries. So, but needless to say, chronic concussions can lead to chronic traumatic encephalopathy and is a known cause of dementia and early death. But it, most of us here don't play for the NFL, right? So does it matter to us? I mean, is, does this affect us? Does it have any impact on us? The question for the rest of us is really this. Does a series of minor concussions lead to a higher risk of dementia? And furthermore, are there other forms of chronic brain injury that could cause similar issues? Luckily, today I have the privilege of being joined by Michael Pendleton, as we mentioned earlier, a chiropractic neurologist. And yes, you heard me right. I did say chiropractic neurologist. He is an expert in neurological rehabilitation for conditions, including Alzheimer's, TBI, and acquired brain injury and concussions. So he um, is published 
and mul- uh, he has multiple published published articles in the frontiers of neurology and all on the topics of TBI, ABI, and Alzheimer's. So this is a very expert. I consider him my brain expert for sure. Um, And before I introduce Michael, I don't want you to forget to support this content and help me get the information out there to others. (laughs) So as you know, this content is fully funded by me, myself, and I. (laughs) So I make the sincerest effort to be unbiased, clear, correct, and helpful when I um, with the content that I produce. I'm motivated really um, by, the, by the desire to bless others in the way that I have been blessed myself by those who served me in my health journey. So all that to say, like, share, comment, <laughs> okay? Help me bless others out there with this content. Don't forget to hit that um, subscribe bell icon if you're watching on YouTube or subscribe and follow, or I I think that's what you do on podcast, right? Subscribe and follow so that you know when the new content loads, you're the first to know. So all that out of the way, let's get started. Well, Michael, welcome to the Rethink It podcast. I'm really glad you're here today. Um, So after after my introduction, I'm sure one of the main questions that people are asking right away is like, what is a chiropractic neurologist? So let's just start with that part. (laughs) That's a, it's a legitimate question, and thank you for having me on here. Uh, basically, you know, I have my chiropractic degree, and then postgraduate wise, we did I did three hundred hours uh, in a, a diplomat mm-hmm. setting in neurology, and then after that, I did a uh, fellowship in traumatic brain injuries and rehabilitation. That's amazing. Which was another over three hundred hours with a uh, small residency. At a um, at the time, it was a brain injury clinic down in uh, I think it was Mar- Marietta, Georgia, outside. Oh, of hey, go dogs! <laughs> so, yeah, so people always ask, "Why well, are you doing chiropractic adjustments on all your concussion patients or your your um, brain injured patients?" And I'm like, "No, you know, a lot of them can't tolerate it. And, right? And, you know, adjustments is a big part of changing neurophysiology, mm-hmm. the way the, the nervous system functions." But um, we work a lot with looking at balance and um, oculomotor function or the way the eyes work Mm -hmm. and then how that works in cognition with cognition. But it's kind of cool is that when we do all of our tests, we can kind of whittle down or try to localize what's called the level of their lesion or where where is it? Where are they most hurt at? Mm -hmm. They hurt Mm -hmm. more on the right side of the brain, the left side of the brain? Is it more of a, of a midbrain or a pons or a medulla? Mm-hmm. Is it a ganglionic? And these are just little areas within the brain that we try to see, hey, this person's most injured there. And if I can do more specific treatment to that area, mm-hmm. we tend to get a better outcome instead of just giving them a, a kind of a cookie cutter, vestibular, oculomotor exercise program. Mm. Yeah, so I, I when I... Um, sort of looked into what you guys do as a specialty. I kind of categorized it in my mind as like, ex- like very, very um, high level physical therapy for the brain. <laughs> That's kind That's of the way to put it. Kind yeah. of the way we I don't do. We're not prescribing anything because we don't have that prescriptive right. Right. So we're trying to change function. Mm-hmm. It's not just say, oh yeah, you have a seizure disorder or you mm-hmm. have a concussion well 
most concussions in the research says people heal from those usually mm-hmm. within a few days to a few weeks, but some people get this post-concussive syndrome mm-hmm. and it lasts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working with a, a, a patient right now, uh, 50, uh, about a 55 year old female, and she's had multiple concussions mm-hmm. and some of them really have changed her balance and she's super healthy, mm-hmm. but we kind of localized to where her injury was at in her, in her right midbrain. Mm-hmm. So she's very hyperactive in the right midbrain, which is very connected to part of the otolithic system in her in her mm-hmm. ear. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't deal with trans. I'm sorry, doesn't deal with spinning like people get vertigo. Right, right, right. It deals with translatory issues, or just she's off balance. She can't just get that balance back. Isn't that crazy? And at a 55 year old, she has the balance of a basically somebody in their 70s and 80s. Wow. So, but when we can get in there and I can, we do find little ways of testing it. Yeah. And then we start to, we can retest and see, all right, this person is getting better and better. Uh-huh. And I have her, usually we have a patient in our office for a week and about three hours a day. We really go after a neuroplastic change. We would try to make them change and then teach them how to do their exercises properly. And then they go home and we recheck them about every four to, um, every four weeks. And do you recheck them like one, like a follow? So you, you're there for, they're, they come in for a week, five days, five days. Is that right? Five yeah. days of, of therapy. Intensive for- physical therapy, or we call mm-hmm. it a big intensive brain boot camp. Brain boot camp. <laughs> yeah. Brain boot camp. I'm really fascinated so, by that and what you do because I come from medicine and I, I, in my experience, I was always really profoundly underwhelmed <laughs> by the tools that we had for post or for concussions. I remember distinctly, even personally, many, many times seeing a concussion patient in the, like in the ER or even in my orthopedic when I was doing orthopedics and I would, you know, I would, I would do a CT scan and I would check them and do all the neurological testing, send them to neurology and neurology would check them again, look at the CT scan and say, do you know, they would restrict all the contact sports for a while, you know, and rest. and that was about it. Rest. Yeah. Rest, you know, dark room, rest and Motrin, <laughs> you know, and that's pretty much the extent of it. But the reality is we know, we know multiple concussions cause brain injury. So it's, it's actually pretty pitiful in the realm of, you know, treating, you know, and prevention. Like, I mean, I think we have good stuff in medicine to, to really deal with a crisis, but, it's it's pretty pitiful what we have to offer people for long term prevention and brain health. It, it, it's it's sad, uh, but also I, a lot of them aren't trained. Right. My <laughs> training went into this, and it was very specific for it. And there's stuff. Oh, I never knew the stuff that I that I know now mm. that mm-hmm. we can use. But it is it's unfortunate in New Mexico where I'm at is just you know they get what you say mm-hmm. the rest it'll go away, mm-hmm. and then if not you need to go see the psychologist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. psychiatrist. And right. And now you're on drugs yeah. and those drugs alter your brain physiology. Significant. That's coming up in the next podcast. <laughs> so. and, then, and that frontal lobe, our wonderful frontal lobe, which makes us human is very tied into that limbic system. Mm-hmm. When that frontal lobe gets injured. You change your personality, emotions. emotion. Yeah. Yes. And when you feel like crap, and it's not going away. I would, I would be depressed. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's not the life we want to live. So like, what are some of the tools that you use in your practice? So especially let's just, 
let's just say in dealing with TBI, since definitely that's sure. where you did some fellowship stuff. So, yeah. so I know you a, lot of, a lot of things. <laughs> with neurodiagnostics, we kind of, I kind of want to get a good overall picture of the patient. Mm-hmm. You alluded to CTs and MRIs, and they're usually 90 plus percent of the time come back normal. Mm. Because you're looking at these brain injuries are usually you're looking at gross anatomy, yeah. <laughs> you know, not you're function. An, an axonal injury, mm-hmm. and you're looking at a cellular injury, but you're seeing a change in the way those nerves connect mm-hmm. and how they then express themselves. Right. And mm-hmm. um, so we use uh, an eye tracking system to look at oculomotor mm-hmm. movements. So just simply put, I can watch somebody track a target on mm-hmm. a screen. Mm. And there's cameras there and it will see if that the eye is tracking properly. Mm. And if mm-hmm. not, you'll see what's called some um, square wave jerk activity or catch up saccades or mm-hmm. a bunch of different good words. But it tells me, all right, really simply put your pursuit movements. And when we follow something like a car moving or a horse in the horizon, mm-hmm. that's a parietal lobe of the back mm-hmm. of the, in the mid back of the brain function. Mm-hmm. Then we'll look at what's called saccades, which is a fast eye movement on the screen. Mm-hmm. So a target will flash, no flash here, flash there. Mm-hmm. And then we're looking at mm-hmm. how fast that patient can go. And are they accurate? Do they mm-hmm. hit the target? Do they go past the target? Do they go or undershoot? Mm-hmm. Is there a straight linear line? Or are they are the eyes not going like this? They're going up and down. Right. So we check that on horizontal. We check it on vertical. Mm-hmm. When you just simply go into that part, horizontal movements from, if you remember your cranial nerves, yeah. or primarily <laughs> pons or middle of the midbrain function, mm-hmm. vertical eye movements are more of a mesencephalic or midbrain. Mm-hmm. That's, your, mm-hmm. that's your second, I'm sorry, your um, third and fourth cranial nerves, your mm-hmm. sixth. So we can actually even get into that much more in depth and say, all right, mm-hmm. I don't want to do a whole lot of horizontal exercises because they're really good, but they're mm-hmm. that face is horrible and vertical. Right. So then like, All right. I know that's more of a, a midbrain issue. And then from that, we'll do what's called a pupillogram, um, mm-hmm. a dynamic pupillogram. So we just use a, a iPad and it's a flash and we record what the pupil does. Mm-hmm. So you can be a flashlight, your pupils constrict. Yeah. And then they recover back right. to their normal size. And so right. we can use that. And with a, this app, it tells us how's it working right to left. Mm-hmm. And is there a problem with that? And then if there is, usually that is a function of what's called the edinger Westfall nucleus, which we'll just leave that there. That's fancy, that's, man. That's I've part never of the parasympathetic <laughs> nervous system. Oh, wow. That's in the midbrain. And that's what uh-huh. gives us this constriction and relaxation. Oh, wow. So, simply put, it's, it's much more complex than that. Yeah, of course. Then I can say, All <laughs> the right, body is beautifully complex and the brain yes. even more so. <laughs> so God works wonderful. Love it. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if I see the right pupil not doing what it's supposed to do, and then I also see the right eye on a vertical pursuit or saccade exercise, I'm like, all right, we'll look at more of a right midbrain issue. Uh-huh. Then from there, we'll use balance or computer computerized postural um postureography mm-hmm. so computerized dynamic postureography and we put people on a on a, a plate mm-hmm. and they stand and their eyes are open and we have them measure their balance close their eyes and look if their balance changed and then we put them on about three inches of foam mm-hmm. and 
eyes open and then eyes closed. And then we really challenge them with their head in rotation for 20 seconds, left rotation, flexion, and extension. Uh-huh. And that is looking at that vestibular system. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the research in TBIs or concussions, mm-hmm. I believe it's there. There is eight, 90 per or 92 percent of people have an oculomotor dysfunction mm-hmm. after a head injury, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 87 percent have a, a vestibular function. Mm-hmm. That's high. That is very high. That's really high. <laughs> That's and really all, high. Most people very have, statistically significant. <laughs> most people have visual or mm-hmm. tracking issues and balance mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we take that and a couple other tests. Put those together. I do a 90-minute bedside examination with the patient because, you mm-hmm. know, as you know, when you examine somebody, you can really pull things oh, out. Yeah. You can't see from just a simple diagnostic yeah. test. Oh, and for sure. You cannot put all your chickens in one basket doing one test. Right, and right. Unfortunately, it's a lot of doctors do. Right. With mm-hmm. it. And so you got. I like to look at that whole thing. And yeah. from there, we come up with, I come up with, a, all right, here's where I think your brain's most dysfunctional at mm-hmm. and then we set a plan to treat them with that and that's usually that week boot camp that they're here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then almost everybody gets better you know everybody i want them to be 100 fixed in one mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah yeah especially when you're looking at multiple concussions over the lifetime mm-hmm. um, especially if people have been are really ill as mm-hmm. you know people who are, are not healthy Well, and there's the acute on chronic. So you've got the TBIs that are like the physical injury. Then we have acquired brain injury. And I'm not going to use that as a bridge in a minute. We're going to talk about that because that's something I feel like is like more common than TBI. But then you put it on top of a TBI. It's like you've got this very complex picture. So, so I hope that was a long answer, but I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, it's, it's perfect. It's, I want the audience to know kind of what, what you do as a specialty um, also that, you know, that you're available for things like that, because I do think there's a limit to what I can do in my clinic when it comes to functional support, even with energetics, the brain actually needs some of that. So to say physical therapy, you know, and I don't offer that. So, so I want people to know that that's something that they can do and that they should do if they're in the picture of a TBI or post-concussive syndrome or, or even Alzheimer's prevention. I saw that, that you're published in a lot of that kind of research. So, um, it's, it's definitely a tool that people need to know about. <laughs> Agreed. So, Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but in my, you know, like in my practice, I deal with a lot more, I deal a lot with Lyme, um, a lot of chronic fatigue. And I feel like children, which I mean, I don't know. It, just, it feels like everybody's got some degree of injury of their brain today. I don't know if I'm just seeing it because I'm biased or if I'm just noticing that man, everybody's brain is on fire. <laughs> but um, let's let's talk about acquired brain injury. What's okay. the difference between acquired brain injury and TBI? So uh, TBI is traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a trauma to the head or mm-hmm. the neck. Mm-hmm. And then acquired is usually there isn't anything traumatic. And mm-hmm. that can come from um, multiple sources uh, that can come. Number one is usually hypoxia. Mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is a lack of oxygen to the brain. So um, post stroke. Mm-hmm. A stroke or what we see is um, a child born with the cord around the neck. 
Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they come out hypoxic. They're not, they, they're being strangled, if you would say. Right, right, right. Yeah. That one, um, we, then you have uh, toxic effects, which mm-hmm. you and I have been kind of cross-trained on those things. Yeah. And we see lime. We see mm-hmm. mold or mycotoxins. Mm-hmm. We see environmental toxins, uh, glyphosates, the pesticides, the fertilizers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing, we were talking earlier, we see crazy parasitic infections. Oh, my gosh. And these parasites love to harbor mold and lime. And heavy metals and lime. <laughs> and heavy metals. Yeah. With it. So I was watching, we were, we were talking about this before. The, like, I was watching Monsters Inside Me, and I, I never, I've heard about that, but I just kind of stumbled on it. I was like, oh, let's see what they say about parasites. And they did this episode on a woman who in, I think, Rock Hill, South Carolina, and she had three years of abdominal pain, but not just abdominal pain, severe depression, severe, and fatigue, and like light sensitivity. And it turned out she had, she finally went to a gastroenterologist who did this, they, something, I was surprised they didn't do it sooner, honestly. In our practice, we do it all the time. I see it all the time in anesthesia. Boom, we're getting a, going to get an EGD and a scope and an ERCP where they look up in the... So the ERCP looks up into the bile ducts and to the liver and the gallbladder and things like that. So she finally had that done three years in and they found a massive liver fluke and then put her anti, on antiparasitics and she cleared all those liver flukes. And I was like, man, I have plenty of clients that have seen those in the toilet bowl. <laughs> so so that yeah. was an allopathic treatment. Allopathic. They well, they gave her a yeah oral. That's still pretty paras- cool. Yeah, so they literally found, saw the parasite under the scope and pulled it as a specimen and went, "You've got a liver fluke." This <laughs> is amazing because they're tiny usually. This thing was huge, so it was kind of interesting. But I, it was very validating because I I know I, like plenty of my clients were like, "What are all these things that look like?" Uh, pieces of grapefruit in the toilet bowl and I'm like those are liver flukes <laughs> you know but the impact on the brain that was what was so impressive to me she was light sensitive and she was depressed mm-hmm. you were talking about the emotional part and that is definitely something with um that's really important to note because people don't they feel crazy and then they start on down the road of antipsychiatric yeah. medications and, and they can't explain it Doctors right. can't explain it. So they're like, maybe I am crazy. I, mm-hmm. I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Of course. You know, it, is, it is in your head. Yeah. You know, but it just is not, you can't see it. Yes. It's, it's an, it's organically in your head. It's not, Bingo. Uh, it's not like mystically in your head <laughs> or whatever. You're, you're not making it up. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But they are not making it up. So do you think that um, like pans, pandas, I see this in the children that end up coming with their moms into <laughs> my clinic. They have a lot of, a, a lot of times they have this pans panda picture where their brains are on fire and they have a lot of emotional side. The, the kids it's emotional, it, it, but mm-hmm. we deal with the inflammation and the emotions clear up is, do you con- consider pans panda kind of in that acquired brain injury totally. picture? Yeah, I do. And, Personally, I've not seen a lot of pans or pandas. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple we've diagnosed with it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, you're, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an acquired brain injury, that can be one. And that's after a, they've been on, a, um, they had strep. Right. So yeah. pans is a pediatric autoimmune 
neurologic syndrome. And then PANDAS is pediatric autoimmune neurologic disorder associated with strep. So just yes. for the audience, for clarification, if you guys have never heard that, that's what that is. And it it's something that's recognized by even an allopathic model. I think Johns Hopkins has a whole mm-hmm. pediatric research wing on it, but the treatment they give there um, would be your typical steroids <laughs> because it's inflammation yeah. of the brain. Um, so our, you know, in, in our functional world, it's a little different. We don't use that approach, but um, what would you do for, so what's your approach with like a acquired brain injury? Well, let me just add a couple more things on that acquired brain injury. Mm-hmm. I also see this with, uh, we get patients that have been um, drug users. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Work, you know, addicted. Sure. Um, that changes the brain so much. <laughs> we have a gentleman that was on, on my podcast, which is called um, uh, Brain Health Matters. And this gentleman, I mean, he has basically, he has every, almost every way you can get an acquired brain injury and oh, no. traumatic brain injury on top of it. Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> at birth was um, born with a quarter on his neck uh-huh. and his mom is also a patient. And she says, oh yeah, the doctor stopped me from doing and shoved him back in to my yeah. birth control, <laughs> birth, birth canal. <laughs> undo the cord because he oh, was literally, gosh. so he was hypoxic at birth. So we had developmental delays all growing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she tried, and she's a great mother. I mean, there's, they still have a great relationship. This gentleman is now in his, um, he's in his forties. Oh well. Wow. So he started out with that. Then he got, um, you know, addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. Lived on the streets in Phoenix. Oh man. Um, he was eating out of of garbage cans, living sure. like that. Yeah. He uh, got in a fight, got stabbed in his left lung field. The knife was so long it went in and clipped his uh, aortic uh, valve. Oh my! Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> then he got sick, stroked, and had a uh, ischemic stroke up in the right parietal lobe on himself. Mm-hmm. Cleaned up his act. Then a. a Again, I remember correctly. Then he got a brain injury, uh-huh. but he just then he got himself clean, and they they brought him to us, and he has done incredible work with. Him. But his big thing for him was because he had these all these acquired brain injuries. He didn't know where he was at in space. Right. Sure. So saw, sure. Yeah. So if he you saw him walk, he like he, he didn't know what his normal was. He just kind of walked like his arms didn't swing. And so we found a big issue with his vestibular system. And when I got his get his vestibular system rehabilitated, mm-hmm. probably had sixty to seventy percent improvement. He could actually work. He was having seizures, so uh-huh. the seizures dropped significantly. Uh-huh. But urine eye training that we've been through, you know, we yeah. looked at some muscle testing, and I did some things with him. And his um, parasites and worms testing was. Oh. Through the, the roof, through the yeah, roof. Yeah. I, I think I ate now. I would never in my life do again. Yeah. You can yeah. stuff this in the garbage for days. I, I ate. Yeah. So we're now doing a, a good detox because I got him to a good level from a neurophysiological point of view. Mm-hmm. He just, mm-hmm. he plateaued. Right. And sure. We did that seminar together yeah. and I'm like, there is the ticket. I didn't even think about the parasitic point of this. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, when we do that, the, the charge testing, you know, yeah. zero to a thousand. Yeah. It was like 900. Oh gosh. 
Just <laughs> toads, nematodes, tapeworms, all of them. Oh my goodness. So just for the audience sake, Michael and I have, um, we met kind of through another professional organization that is sponsored by a company that does a lot of education in the wellness world. And then we, we met kind of virtually and then we met again, um, in person (laughs) when we were at by accident. Yeah. (laughs) At a muscle testing conference recently here in the Colorado area. Um, that was my second time. I was kind of getting a refresher. Was that your first one? With them? Yes. With them. Okay. So you you were trained in a different, um, muscle or muscle testing format, or Mm -hmm. I know there's, there's different ways to do it, but I find muscle testing to be an extremely valuable tool in the diagnostic and in, I, I like to use it a lot um, to tailor down and customize my clients um, treatment protocols. So that's where it's really helpful for me in my practice. So, but yeah, yeah. So that, that helped you pick up the link with the parasites and now you're seeing. And what was crazy just because we're using these energetically charged vials to muscle Mm -hmm. test people. Mm -hmm. Um, he, his mother called me probably two or three days after he was the first initial, all the testing we did on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, he's been having seizures like crazy. And oh. I, had, I had not even put him on anything yet. Oh, wow. Having that around his oh yeah field, his, his quantum physics yep. took that and he, and he was just a mess. Oh yeah. So I'd do a few things, then get him on some products to start to get those out of it. But I don't, I don't think I've even started a parasite product with him. I'm just oh. getting them there. Yeah, get drainage. Yeah. Just drain them. Yeah. You know, my son, the reason I do this is because my son had Lyme disease and, and he got very, very sick. He was six years old. In fact, we just wrote a book about it. Yay. Kids book <laughs> about his cool. experience with Lyme. So that should be out in a couple of months. I'm excited about that. But um he he, you know, it took us a while. It took me a while to find my way through the functional world coming out of the allopathic world and really understand how to utilize the tools. I actually had to really be his provider because I couldn't find one <laughs> who was comf- who was really Lyme literate and truly functional medicine, not didn't want to bolster him with a ton of antibiotics and things like that. So Anyway, I, I was kind of the, the guide in that direction. Um, but I remember the first muscle testing conference I went to was in, um, I think it was in Phoenix with this company. And I came back with the vials and I opened them because I wanted to muscle test them. I opened them in my kitchen. I said, come over here, Stephen. <laughs> and he was like, oh, God, I don't feel good. <laughs> what you is that? I don't feel good. Off, I, off I just, I, you know, the, hold on. Let me see if I've got them here. I feel like, yeah, I do. Excuse me. <laughs> so, you know, we've got our little kit here. All I did was this. I opened them. Oh, that. That was it. I just opened them on the counter and he was like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel good, mom. I can't, I don't know what's going on. I don't feel good. <laughs> this was a little kid. He was 10. <laughs> so he had no clue what, yeah. what, what was going on. So it, it was definitely an unbiased and very profound reaction to the frequencies and we weren't you, expecting that either. No, I did oh, not expect yeah. it, you know, because you still, I, to me, it was such a new thing, this muscle testing. And I was like, well, these vials, I don't know, this is like distilled water. Is it really a frequent? I mean, I saw them do it. I, I, I did it, but do I really believe it? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I was still kind of in the, hmm, this is new for me. And when I did that, it was just like, oh, well, 
that's pretty clear. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, so it's been a, it's been a journey in integrating muscle testing and frequency into my practice. And that makes you are such a good physician to me because you, we should be skeptical. Yeah. We, do, we learn things. We just like, Oh, I, I believe that. I'm like, I want to test those things. Yeah. And I, I so test everything. My experience with, with you, I, I never expected that to happen with that gentleman. Mm-hmm. But now even with your, you're saying it, it makes complete sense. Yeah. It was just yeah. too much frequency. And he had such a burden because I think I opened the one that had, because I had separated them into like the parasites and then the bacteria. And so it was all the diagnostic ones. So I had them, and then I had the mitochondria ones on the separate one. And I had all those pathogen frequencies and the glyphosates all in one box. And that's the one I opened. And he had wow. such a burden of parasites. He was still going through the protocol. I think we were dealing with the deeper phase three type deep tissue parasites mm-hmm. at the time, but he still had a huge burden during that time. He had had, we had started deep, deep tissue parasite treatments and he had like abscesses pop out of his mouth. I mean, he had all kinds of things that were, it was pretty impressive. And that was then that I was, you know, was during that time I opened up the, these vials and he's like. It's sad that we get excited about that, but that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's validating. Their body. That's right. That's right. I know it's, it's gross, but it is, it's real. <laughs> it's a purge of the bad stuff and we want it. So, so back to the, um, you know, acquired Amen. brain injury. <laughs> yeah. This is such a good conversation. So, were you and I, when it comes to an acquired brain injury, then I, like I said, I like to look at the cause. You, you got to figure mm-hmm. out what the cause is. And that's kind of what we, why I went to that muscle testing seminar right. you did with it. So um, what I have found doing this functional neurology and this, and this rehab boot camps is some of my patients don't have the response. I'm like, what is going on with them? And then mm. we look a little more of a deeper dive in their history, and then like, oh yeah, you know, they they were exposed to mold. Like, oh, like, yeah, I, I when I go back to the Midwest and I mm-hmm. get to my parents' house, I'm like I can't hardly breathe. I can smell the mold, you know. Um, mm. cause some people can have mold exposure, microtoxin exposure, mm. or, mm-hmm. or Lyme, and it, it doesn't express themselves. It expresses right. at other times. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's what makes. There is more than going on. I, I just can't just do neuro rehab on all my patients, I, even though I, they need it. Sometimes you, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Their brain injury is not from a traumatic incident. It is more from something that's the built acquired. Up. Acquired. Yeah, you're describing that, practice, that. Pardon. Sorry, <laughs> you were describing that. Oh, who we were sorry? We we're like crossing over. Practice, I, mostly, that you see a lot of mycotoxins mold. In line. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's incredible. Lyme disease is is understated. I think that the most recent statistic I heard is that the rate is like three hundred thousand new diagnoses per year. And that's that's according to the CDC. So you know that's a little off. It's Low. probably more. Yeah. Probably more. <laughs> but that's higher than the rate of new new breast cancers per year. That's huge. And we don't talk about it, <laughs> you know, it's huge. So, you know, no. And in fact, I think in the medical world, um, I put feelers out and, and I'm going to just throw it out there right now. I was trying to get 
collect people's story of being finally getting the diagnosis of Lyme disease, what kind of experience they had, because I know mine, but I was medical. So I could navigate the side eyes from doctors, you know, because I, I, I have that tra training. Like I, I am I'm I'm medically trained. So I'm like, I'm not crazy. You and yeah, I trained in the trained. same place. We, we, we trained in the same place. We, I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, my son does have Lyme. And I'd get the side eye, you know, I'd get the like, mm, oh, you're one of those, are you one of those homeschool moms that think everybody has a lot? <laughs> we oh, do homeschool, you know, but, but, you know, I'm not, I, I know what I'm talking about. Um, so it's unfortunate, but I wanted to, you know, collect people's stories on that because I feel like it's such a horrible pandemic of like m mistreatment because these people end up m being missed. It is hard to diagnose Lyme. I mean, it's a great masquerader. The mm -hmm. symptoms are vague. It's not very clear. And in medicine, we're not, we're taught to, you know, find a symptom, make a diagnosis and give a drug. So it's not, it doesn't, it, it doesn't fit into that mold. So people end up going down this like multiple, multiple doctors and then ultimate, ultimately the psychiatric realm, then they get the, they get the extra layer of being on those drugs that alter brain physiology, then that make it hard to recover from Lyme. Like that makes the treatments that you and I do more challenging. So it's kind of difficult, but um, I don't know why I went on the ta tangent. Why did I go on that tangent? <laughs> but I agree with you. We're talking about Lyme, <laughs> yeah. but I was thinking earlier, you were talking about, you were describing that, pa that patient that was homeless my son came out. My first child was an emergency C-section, double nuchal cord or double cord around his neck, had some hypoxia, but not, I would not say it was cerebral palsy causing, but he had profound ADHD. <laughs> we lived in a moldy home. We lived in a moldy environment. Like it wasn't just the home, like the town we lived in. We lived in the deep South and <laughs> it was just, there's mold in the air. It's just part of the culture. Um, and so he had just hit after hit after hit. And, and today he's doing well, but he's aware he's 22 years old and he's aware of his story. You know, he's aware of where we need to be working. Cause when I realized it, it was, I was, he was like in his teens, you know, and I was starting to try to fix and rehab the stuff that I'd done. I'd put him on the ADHD drugs. I put him on Prozac. I'd, I'd done all the medical approaches at what age and he was getting he was on adh drug d drugs at four prozac at eight and i took him off of that pretty quickly because i was like we're going in the wrong direction i don't agree with this <laughs> like i don't know any i've never i was told not to prescribe those drugs to to young mm -hmm. children you know and and the psychiat psychiatrist was like i do it all the time <laughs> you know and i was like uh, i don't agree so we pulled him off but he was my sick kid. He still is the first one to get sick. He had like multiple series of strep throat. You know, of course, early on, I was like antibiotic, antibiotic, antibiotic. And then when I learned, you know, my, my trade, what I do now, you know, we treated his strep throat naturally and he never got it again, you know, so it was amazing. But he's now he's now taking ownership of his health. And that's a, that's a tricky part, right? When you get your kids into this teen realm, I can see how they become homeless and get addicted to drugs. I mean, I can, unless you've got this parent just, just, you know, who knows, how are you supposed to know? You don't know. I didn't know. You know? So no judgment to the parents because I didn't, 
but I can see how it happens because they don't feel normal. I mean, my child on, on ADHD drugs versus off of ADHD drugs were two different kids. Now on ADHD drugs, he had a ton of impulsivity, but off ADHD drugs, he, he just was everywhere at once, you know? So it was, it was an acquired brain injury for sure. And I just thank God that he didn't end up on the streets, you know, <laughs> like your patient. But. That's God bless you for going be above and beyond your training. Well, it was a humbling experience because <laughs> there are many things in medicine that we consider very uh, untouchable. We don't talk about, no, we would never challenge these things. And you can guess what those are. <laughs> There's certain things we just don't know that those are safe and effective, <laughs> you know, mm. and this is how we do things. Um, and for me to really love my training, I loved being at PA. I loved prescribing, diagnosing. I love doing anesthesia now. You know, I, I love medicine. I think it has its place, but it was absolutely a humbling experience to go, but I don't know everything. <laughs> and what's, what am I missing? And, and then challenge the things that were laid down as dogma, you know, so uh, it's still humbling every day. It's humbling. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. The human body is a humbling yeah. <laughs> organism, isn't it? So I think I, I hope I answered your question about the acquired brain injuries. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did. It fits into that category. That's really important. And the, the takeaway I kind of want people to, to, to take with them is that, you know, acquired brain injury, your exposure, let's just say it's a toxin induced brain injury toxin or oxygen depleted, right? Wouldn't we say, I mean, I'm just trying to make it super simple. Like how would we right. say it? You know, if you don't get oxygen, you, you get toxic injury to your brain because free radicals yeah. injure your brain and lack of oxygen causes free radicals. And then of course, you know, most people think of drug use as the, as a toxic injury, those type of things, but it doesn't have to be meth. Okay. It can be, Right. It can be chemistry. Yeah, it can be the roundup in your everyday food. It can be the eating out that you do every single day. You know, and then if you if you happen upon a high insult of toxins, and I'll just say, like, say you have long ongoing brain inflammation, and I'm gonna target anesthesia for a second because that's what I do. Um, say you have uh, okay, even in the in the autism world. Those kids have brain inflammation, right? We know they mm -hmm. do. That's that's what that is. In the autism community, they they understand that most children should not receive typical anesthesia. Like they encourage their parents, and I would, if you don't know this and you have an autistic kid, here's your information. Um, you know, those kids get a major insult with general anesthesia, particularly with certain anesthetics that we have. And so every, if you, the problem with autistic kids is they can't do for themselves and they end up having to have multiple surgeries and they end up getting many, many anesthetics, which ends up causing more injury to the brain. So you get this massive insult. So if you have this low grade chronic brain inflammation going on, and I just use an autism as one as that people might identify, but it can be chronic fatigue. <laughs> and then you go and have a toxic insult. And I just say anesthesia because that's what I do. But you 
go fly on an airplane, you know, for eight, eight hours and be around radiation for eight hours. Cause that's what happens on an airplane. You get a massive dose of radiation, um, that can cause injury, right? So if you have an uptick in toxin, toxin exposure environmentally, it's going to set you off and cause problems that might push you over the edge. Right. Right. And then throw in EMFs on top. Oh of gosh. That. Yeah. EMFs or, also. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's something you're going to get a lot of when you fly too. <laughs> it's funny. This is my, life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go, go see the towers. Isn't there a there was a website and if I can find it, it shows you where all the cell towers are in your area. And those all emit EMF radiation. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's pretty bad. So the solar power is mm -hmm. boxes, and uh, we went to solar, but you know I use uh, some thing called EMF rocks. To, to what is it called? Down. E M F rocks. R O C K S rocks. R O C K S. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. nothing plugged in. It's 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 charged um, rocks from the earth. It's like earthy. Is it like shungite? Is it like the shungite sure rocks? It, it could be, but were you at Eco the? Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. They were there. They were one of the vendors. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll have to look. They did a, a lunch talk and I learned a lot about the EMFs. And that's oh, a yeah. big thing when you look at brain injury rehabilitation, we try to get, I'm like, you've got to get away from these EMFs. Yep. You know, you yep. can't be on screens and need blue light blockers because that will affect your brain. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, you know, if, if you're a person who drives down the road by a power station and all of a sudden you get nauseated, that might be something you want to be thinking about. I, I've had plenty of my clients say, yeah, that's when I knew something was wrong when I would be around power stations or, or cell towers and I would feel bad. And yeah. I, I suddenly realized that that's what that was, that's what was going on. You know, my son with Lyme, he's, he's finally healthy, happy playing and running but he tried to join the um, air, um, civil air patrol. He wanted to do that so bad. He'd been training. He'd been running, doing cool. push-ups. He was so excited. He wanted to join the civil air patrol. So finally, the day came, and we went to the Air Force base where they meet, and it's a big deal. And he gets on the Air Force base. He's there for 30 minutes, and this is about a, a year ago. This is back in March, I think. And he says... He, he starts turning green. I mean, he doesn't say anything because he really wants to go. <laughs> he just starts feeling green. And then he starts getting the dark circles. And then his legs start getting weak. <laughs> and he's like, Daddy, I got to go. I don't feel good. And I was like, oh, my gosh, the Air Force Base. So I talked to my father, who's a pilot. My dad is a – he flies all kinds of airplanes. He flies helicopters. He flies all kinds of airplanes. And I was like, Dad – Stephen got sick at the Air Force Base. Like, what's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have a lot of radio communication, EMF. He says, and if you fly in the fighter jet pilot, you get a ton of radiation. He's like, yeah, we get we get taught that kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, okay, well, wow. we're not quite there yet, are we? <laughs> so, so we put that on hold. We're still doing some work on that. Um, but that was one of the bigger air, air, air bases, so maybe we can find a you know, something closer, but that's a good story. I'm going to put that one in my, my back pocket. 
Yeah, he should that use it. Because we got, we. I mean, this child is now, help, I mean, he was training. He, this was a child who we had to carry upstairs at his worst. He was not well. His nervous system was terrible. And he could. He didn't have strength in his legs. He, he We had to carry him to his bedroom. That's and, you know, for and then he, he got well enough that he was running three miles and doing push-ups and getting ready for Civil Air Patrol. But he walks onto that Air Force base and his nervous system said, nope, <laughs> nope. That's the power of EMF. So it's impressive. So talk, talk to me about the link. This is a, a podcast is really, and you know, trying to give people the tools to prevent dementia. Um, Cause I, in my research, what shocked me was the rates of early onset dementia. We're talking 30 to 65. Those have like massively increased 300% per year or something ridiculous mm-hmm. like that. That might not be a specific quote. So do not quote me on that. It's something like that. <laughs> okay. So, but my point is if it's any percent for you and you're starting to have brain changes in your forties, that's a problem, right? So we yes. want to prevent it. What do you, what do you know of the link between TBI and dementia, acquired brain injury, dementia, those type of things? Uh, there's, when you look at the literature, there's a, a definite, they say a hundred percent link to it. hundred percent link. Link to it. Yes. To dementia. And in, and in multiple factors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by that? And, and I'm going to kind of quote, and I'm going to go very slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is out of the, uh, let's see, this was out of the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease from 2017. Oh, wow. It says, what is the relationship of traumatic brain injury to dementia? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm going to share this with you so you can share this with your um, listeners and, re- and readers. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, let's see what we got here. Basically, there's the summary states that the research points to several conclusions to a TBI dementia relationship. Mm-hmm. So... And they broke them down. It's not just like, oh, yeah, this TBI causes dementia. Well, why or how? Mm-hmm. So we'll go quickly, but I'm going to go slowly on these things mm-hmm. to try to explain to them. Their first, um, there was 10 reasons mm-hmm. that they connected to this. And the first was this, the increasing severity of a single moderate to severe TBI increases the risk of subsequent Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common type of dementia. So mm-hmm. there's mild, which most people get. There's mm-hmm. moderate, which really checks your fine. And then severe are your patients that, you know, usually are in a, sometimes a coma, mm-hmm. can't talk, they're in a, they're in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had those patients. But the worse the, the concussion, the higher incidence of dementia. Mm-hmm. Number two, repetitive, often sub concussive, which means not being knocked out, mm-hmm. mild traumatic brain injuries increase the risk for chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is a degenerative neuropathology. So mm-hmm. CTE. Mm-hmm. So you look at this, that's the big ones on the movie Concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Football players, multiple hits. Yeah. Um, yep. And I go back to this. It's, this is all of us. I've had multiple hits to my head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I play yeah. collegiate rugby. I mountain bike. I ski. Mm-hmm. Other comments, but yep. I've had one, and I'm I'm like yeah. I'm in this class. I mean, we all. I mean, who yeah. who has not hit their head? Yeah, when I, exactly. When I do lecture, like who's not hit their head ever and had a little bit of concussion? Nobody right. raises their hand. Right, 
Right. Maybe one person, but I think they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> so that's number two. Number three, uh, TBI, may, TBI may be a risk factor for other neurodegenerative disorders that can be associated with dementia. I think on that one, TBI goes back to our acquired brain injury. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Number four, TBI appears to lower the age of onset-related neurocognitive syndromes, potentially adding TBI um, cognitive behavioral features. What does that mean? The younger you are and you're getting a TBI, the higher chance you're going to have a dementia-related issue or at a, a younger, at a younger age. Yeah, sooner. Yeah. So again, yeah, we go so. back to like all these people. Like, why are we getting seeing these things so much more? I think it's because of everything we've talked about: the EMFs, our lifestyles, things like mm -hmm. that. And we've had multiple mm -hmm. injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, number mm -hmm. number five here is any blast or blunt physical force to the head, as long as there's a violent head displacement. So the more mm -hmm. your neck Flap is up. injured, mm -hmm. and again. The research backs this, and that's why, as chiropractors, I like to really look at the neck and make sure it's stable. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or another condition which you may have come across, or, or listeners, is some people like, man, I got to go back to the chiropractor every week or two weeks. My adjustments don't hold. When somebody tells me their mm -hmm. adjustments don't hold, there's something else going on with them. That's and right. It's usually 100%. something like this, and it's usually a vestibular issue, honestly. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, number six, a decreased cognitive and or neuronal reserve in the related variable of older age at TBI. So now, also older people who aren't, <laughs> don't have as much up there, literally the volume loss, their brain is shrinking as we get older, right. they get a concussion. They have a higher chance of dementia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And aren't falls very common in older people? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, my big thing is we do is we want – decrease your risk of falls, you don't have a concussion. Right. You have a better right. brain. Right. Um, number seven. And, and vestibular rehab will decrease that risk of falls. Very much FYI. so. <laughs> that's, that's what yeah. I want to point out there. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Apolipotene E uh, for alleles, which is a genetic risk factor for um, Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. So these are things so, that we I Genetically, they have it. And mm -hmm. we can test those. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you ever use mm -hmm. Cyrex lab? Uh, no, I use a different lab, but I, I do test those. <laughs> yeah. So th th pretty cool that yeah. we can actually test those. Yeah. Uh, number, let's see, mm -hmm. number eight, um, acute TBI results in amyloid pathology and other neurodegenerative proteinopathies. So just mm -hmm. any new uh, concussion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is going to make you start to change at a cellular level within the brain. Right. Amyloid is just folding of your proteins in an abnormal way. So basically your metabolism, a cellular yeah. mitochondrial metabolism, the ribosomes don't make them the right way and the proteins right. fold wrong. So <laughs> that's I why see. those amyloid happen. I mm -hmm. see. You get scar tissue in your brain. That's right. That's the best yeah. way to describe it. The older it. we get scar tissue in our shoulder, we get scar tissue in our knees. We sure. just get scar, scar tissue in the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Number nine, CTE, the chronic traumatic encephalopathy, shares features with neurodegenerative dementias. Mm -hmm. So they compare when you look at different subsets. 
And lastly, number 10, TBI results in white matter tract and neuronal network disruptions. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about is when you enter the brain, all those connections, those highways, in which mm -hmm. are billions of them, mm -hmm. get injured. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what you see with a neurodegenerative type of, of issue. Mm -hmm. um, and it says much more research is needed on this, but these 10, 10 findings suggest that dose-dependent effects of violent head displacement in vulnerable brains predisposes to dementia. Wow. So, pretty incredible study. Yeah, that's cool. pretty critical. And that covers all of the things that we just talked about as a pretty cause much, of dementia. It? Yes, it, did. Yeah. it covers all of them. And I, and I apologize for the, the big words. No, it's... I try to... Uh, I think our people, I think our people are smart. I think right. they can handle it. <laughs> and if they have questions, comment down below, of course, and or send an email to Dr. Sandy at sandybarger.com and you will answer your questions. No problem. <laughs> sure. And yeah. if you will reach out to me, I'll be glad to answer people's questions on that one. Yes. And you know, one, when you look at this one, uh, that those 10 things, mm -hmm. one thing for me, because you had your personal experience with your son, mm -hmm. my father-in-law uh, had... And this was probably close to 10 years ago. He had passed out twice at, at lying at Lowe's mm. and fell backwards each time. And that's the worst fall you can have because you don't oh, gosh. protect yourself. <laughs> oh, so yes. he's actually out. He was, he had fainted. So in the, wow. they were two weeks apart. The first one, the doctors didn't do anything. Oh, he's, and he didn't have too many symptoms. The second one. Rest, hydrate. <laughs> they did a C, they did Dark a CT. room. CT. Found a yeah. blood brain bleed. Oh, yeah, of course. Subdural, yes. functional But I'm like, to the doctor, I go, well, why is he passing out? No, I don't know. They're like, well, he just is. I'm like, there's got to be a reason. So I okay. did blood tests on him, and he was mm. severely iron-deficient anemia. Wow. Wow. This is now what's called an acquired brain injury that resulted right. into a traumatic brain injury. Uh -huh. So his his iron levels, if you remember, I think it was like eight. Oh, his wow. total iron binding, binding his iron saturation was in the either the twelve or ten percent range. <laughs> Unbelievable. God. And I think now my wife, his daughter, mm -hmm. um, I had already known she was anemic because she was like having fatigue issues. I had diagnosed her with iron deficiency anemia and her mm -hmm. sister. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. as a good, strong Hispanic male, he didn't complain. Mm, Air Force not. Lieutenant. I mean, he went all 20 years in, in yeah. the Air Force, smart as a whip, engineer. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. now to this day, it, it's too late. I did all kinds of work. His mm -hmm. brain had shrunk so much oh. that lack of oxygen delivery from the anemia. Mm -hmm. He has mm -hmm. a type of, of Alzheimer's dementia I've still never seen. He has no memory. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. He knows my my oh, that's awful. name, and he's used to her. But now he doesn't remember my wife. I asked oh, him about no. things about their their pool at their old house. I would help him work on the pool. You know, he doesn't remember his children, his grandchildren. Oh. It's it's incredible. And how but old is he? He is eighty. Mm -hmm. Eighty one now with yeah. it. So, but mm. incredible what the brain does because he just keeps eating and functioning. But he wants mm -hmm. to. Eat all the time he probably weighs 130 pounds yeah 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 he wow eats, eats everything and it's just that brain wanting that that nutrient give me some cool. glucose but the problem is the glucose doesn't get yeah. to the brain and I, as well and and, and we try to change diet but my mo yeah. my mother off gives up you know it's hard to treat family right. it is so, so hard it is so, so that, hard he falls into this almost all those 
Uh-huh. I've never checked him for a genetic factor, but I, I mm. think I might check at least my wife and then um, the yeah. rest of her family with it. So it's yeah. Well, and to when it comes to iron deficiency anemia, um, especially when you have tremendously low or tremendously high ferritin, um, you're dealing with a chronic inflammatory problem, you know, and then also <laughs> parasites. <laughs> yeah. Parasites love to eat the iron yeah. from the red blood cells. So um, metals, they love metals. So, mm -hmm. you know, that'd be something I would be absolutely checking for. Maybe Babesia or something like that, that loves to just destroy the red blood cell. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a great way to finish the story <laughs> of TBI and ABI or acquired brain injury. Um, so, I'm just going to, I always leave people with a little hope instead of just, just bringing them down all the time. So um, I'm, of course, I want to give people practical information, practical tools that they can um, use to, to biohack their brain and optimize their longevity. So what kind of tools, supplements, strategies do you recommend just to the average person to help biohack their brain? I mean, I always tell them light, cold plunge is good diet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that one, the one that on our podcast brain health matters we consistently it's move exercise move your body you got you look back at the research what's well, some of the best things you can do for your brain is move 100 percent. Mm -hmm. yeah and the best thing you can do for your brain learn to dance Start learn to dance dance, to dance. dance. oh i love this <laughs> You got to learn the steps. It's yeah. cardiovascular. Yes. Um, it's pretty, really cool. And yeah. It's like chess, except with movement. It is. It, it's uh -huh. fun. And it, it brings uh -huh. back people's old memories. So it our, does. my big thing is move, move, move your body. drink plenty of good water, distilled mm -hmm. or reverse osmosis water. Mm -hmm. And um, you got to stop eating shit. Yes. I mean, yeah. you just can't eat sugar all day long, which is yeah. everywhere. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Those are the those are our big three that we do. Yes. Remember, dementia Ooh, is type three diabetes. <laughs> so, diabetes, get the sugar yeah. get the sugar out of your diet and and increase that. I'll, I'll a quick study that they did with exercise. They took over sixty five year of age male and female marathon runners, MRI their brain, mm -hmm. what's the volume of their brain, especially in the hippocampus, which is in the in the temporal lobes, which is our short term mm -hmm. memory. Mm -hmm. Made them stop running for a month. Mm -hmm. Redid the MRIs. The only area that the brain changed was the hippocampus shrunk. Oh the my gosh! Memory of the brain shrunk. Okay, the hippocampus the is a memory memory part of your brain, people. <laughs> short term, short term memory. Yeah. Why are we like? Wait, what did I come in this room for? Why did I? Yeah, where's my keys? Those things. Yeah, yeah. They then let these people go back to running. At, then they MRI them at two weeks and at four weeks. And I think it was a, at six or eight weeks, their brain was back to the original volume. Wow. So it says <laughs> what stopping somebody who's exercised, what stopping does. Wow. And then it can come back pretty quickly. Yes. Now, I think personally, it came back quickly because these people were healthy. They had that substrate in there. They had that sure. memory with that. Sure, sure, sure. So that's a, one of the probably the coolest studies I've ever come across. Yeah. Somebody said it really simply. Um, I, I don't know where I heard this, but somebody said, you know, as 
when we stop challenging ourselves, our bodies just start to disintegrate. If we just go for comfort, and I think as we age, we t tend to tend toward comfort. I stay inside. It's cold. <laughs> so I don't go outside. <laughs> so, you know, we don't, we, we don't do the cold plunge. We stop exercising as much. Our joints hurt, you know, <laughs> like just we, we just tend toward this comfort. But that's actually just incredibly De deteriorating for the body it's not it's it's the opposite of what you need you need to challenge continue to challenge your body um and the movement is really great i'm glad you mentioned it because i i did mention in a previous podcast that there's a lot of push in the supplement industry and i do love my supplements i give them one needed and how needed but one of the big brain supplements that are huge right now is BDNF, right? <laughs> well, we make more BDNF when we move our muscles and we don't have to move them really hard. You don't have to run marathons to do it. <laughs> you can just go for a brisk walk, you know? And I'll tell you in my practice, that's the hardest thing for me to get people to do. The, the dietary changes, because it involves the lifestyle and moving your body. But they, I get so much pushback. <laughs> like you, these things... I want to save you money. We don't need to take these supplements. <laughs> we just move your body, you know? Yes. So yes, that's awesome. I love Amen. it. I love it. Dance people dance until you die. <laughs> I love it. All right. Exactly. Any last, any last thoughts for us before we wrap it up? No, if anybody wants to see where I'm down in Albuquerque, uh, my website's uh, www.swbrain.com pc.com southwest brain performance centers swbrainpc.com and all that will be in the show notes and if you're on our emailing list that will be emailed out to you as well so make sure you are subscribed so you get all the information yep. but for sure check our our show notes for that information you can get in contact with dr michael um at sbs what is it southwest brain performance yeah swbrainpc.com Thank yes. you for having me. This was a blast. You yeah, and I could, so I know we could talk for another we could. three or five hours. Yes. We had a fun time talking before this podcast. And I just enjoy this. It's, it's so, so much, so relaxing and validating to me to talk to other people in this space, in this space, you know, because sometimes I feel like I'm a lone island over here. <laughs> I promise I'm not crazy people. <laughs> this is what you need Especially to do. Too. That's, that's the best part. Yes, exactly. All right. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much for your time. Bye. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Good night. My hope is that this podcast has left you with a few new insights, hopefully some encouragement, and most importantly, some actionable steps forward toward healing your body and your brain. If you found this content helpful, please don't forget to give us a like and, a, and share it with someone else who might benefit from it. Also, don't forget to follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages. I love hearing from you guys. I look forward to spending some time with you again soon. So until then, celebrate the small victories. There really is hope for lasting healing.